Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the first in tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First in tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we, we think, think we're, we're funny, funny AF. First in tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstintenspodcast.com. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. It's time for another episode of Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined by Nora Princiati, who covers the NFL for The Ringer. Nora talks about her incredible career journey and the epic internship that was a part of it, swimming against the current and the importance of never letting a potential no stop you from moving forward. We also do a deep dive on Taylor Swift and discuss navigating the world of social media. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Now, let's get to it. Nora, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. I'm psyched to be doing this. Well, I'm psyched to have you. You're one of my favorite NFL reporters. And uh, for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you'll know that Nora is also a, a frequent a tweet in my funny tweet Fridays because you're very funny. Uh, so I am excited to have this conversation. So let's jump right in. I would love if you could take us a little bit through your career journey um, to the ringer. Yeah. Uh, so I was a real late bloomer in journalism and in sports media. I did not know that I wanted to do this when I was a freshman or a sophomore in, in college, but I'd started, um, I went to the George Washington University and I, I had started writing for this school paper, The Hatchet, uh, really because <laughs> my dear friend, Chloe Sorvino, who's a feature writer for Forbes now, she, um, I met her at a student org fair and I had these loafers that I really loved on. And she was like, oh, I love those shoes. And we started talking about like my shoes. And then I just thought that she was really cool and I wanted to be friends with her. So I was like, okay, what do you do? And she was like, well, I write for the newspaper. You should sign up. So like I totally did it to just like make friends. And then I really liked it. It wasn't like an immediate, I love this so much. I can't imagine my life without being a reporter or being involved in sports coverage. But First, it was a hobby, and then it was a serious hobby, and then it was a hobby that was leading me towards choosing internships. And, you know, D.C. is a great place to be if you're interested in media. Um, And I did some news reporting. I did some sports reporting. I ended up being the sports editor of the paper for a couple of years, really because it was the fastest opening (laughs) where I was (laughs) an editor. Um, And I've, you know, I grew up loving sports. Um, my family's super into it. So it was a natural fit in some ways, but it was really much more, I was choosing things based on what I enjoyed doing instead of gearing myself towards this being my career. Mm -hmm. But the more I did it, the more I felt like 
I didn't want to give it up. And at first it was, well, this could be a cool thing to do, make my resume a little bit unique if I sort of see if I can make this work for a few years out of college and then maybe I'll, I'll switch gears. And uh, when I graduated, I had a summer internship in the sports department at the Boston Globe. And I did that. And I think at that point, it started to become very real. And I don't know that I felt like, you know, it's a tough job market and it's hard to get jobs in journalism. So I think part of me felt like, well, if this wasn't really my plan, so if all the doors get shut in my face and I can't make it work, then we'll see. But that internship was an incredible opportunity. And I ended up actually staying that entire, uh, the rest of the football season. So I was supposed to leave in um, September and they asked if I would keep interning, but focus on covering the Patriots. And I got to travel. So it was this incredible opportunity where I was having this crash course and being an NFL beat reporter that I could not have imagined that I would have gotten when I was 22. Like it was, it was insane that they let me do that. Um, insane in a good way, I hope. Uh, so I did that. And that was the year that the Patriots had that incredible comeback in the Super Bowl against the Falcons. And I just remember sitting in that press box being like, all right, they're going to have to drag me kicking and screaming out of this industry and maybe that'll happen. But um, let's see if we can make this work. Uh, And so I ended up going back to D.C. um, and I covered the now Washington football team for a few months. But um, by the next season, I got hired back full-time to cover the Patriots at the Globe. And so then I did that um, for the 2017, 2018, 2019 seasons. And absolutely just like the coolest thing to be able to be around that franchise and all those, like just the number of interesting and weird and important and bizarre storylines that happened over that span of time is like, sort of crazy for me to think back on. And Mm -hmm. then, um, in March of this year, uh, I started talking to the ringer and, and I, um, ended up hopping over there in a couple months later. And that's sort of, you know, the, the rest is history. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Um, couple things I'd love to unpack there. Do you think it made a little bit of a difference for you that you it wasn't stressful, it wasn't, I have to do this, but it was more, I like doing this, I'm going to keep doing this until I can't anymore? Do you think that that contributes a little bit to your success so far in this industry? That's a really good question. I don't know. I guess I've never thought about it that way. What I do think it, what I think helps is that, like, I think I would be lying if I told you that that sort of path makes me like very loose and kind of like, ah, whatever happens, happens. That's not always my personality. Um, So I don't know if it's quite that, but what I, what I think is important is that, okay. So I was like fresh out of college, 22, I go in and I'm covering a team in a league that like, I don't know how the machinations of NFL coverage really work. Right. Like I'm not used to the rhythms. I'm not used to any of that. And at the same time, I'm covering a team that's not particularly media friendly. And that's also in a market that's 
super, super, super saturated with football coverage. And Uh I think what helped a lot was that I hadn't been like planning my whole life around doing this. So I kind of didn't have some of the muscle memory that's helpful in a lot of cases. But when the biggest thing that you can do is kind of try to find ways to swim against the current, go against the grain, be a little bit different. Because if I were trying to, if I tried to cover the Patriots the same way that like Mike Reese does or Tom Curran or like any of those fabulous beat reporters who'd been there 15, 20, 25 years before me, I would have failed. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been as good at that. There's just no way I wouldn't have had the relationships. I, I still don't. I, I wasn't there for 20 years. Like that's just, that's just the way that it is. And so I think some of, some of the perspective of feeling like, what, how did I end up here? Helped me because I was maybe a little bit more willing to just be like, okay, well, this weird random thing is interesting to me. So I'm going to go ask this guy about like why he always wears funny socks or, mm-hmm. or something. And the cool thing about football, I think, is that people love it. A lot of people love it. And it means that there are a lot of people covering it and also means that you can choose a lot of different pathways to go about it, right? Because that hunger is is for more a lot of the time. So there's a real acceptance, which I really love in the fans of if you can tell me something about this that I don't already know, I'll go in weird different directions with you. So that was, I think, where I sort of tried to tried to live a lot of the time. And that's what I think that's what I had the most success doing. And that's what I mean, I like I felt like the sort of ringer ecosystem is really good at that. So that's been a cool transition just because I feel like I use a lot of the same skills but it's also mm-hmm. like there's all these people around me now who are so so good at that so it, it's it's a funny it's a funny switch and i really relate to that cuz that's very much how fangirl was born and when i became a 49ers beat reporter at first i was a little intimidated by the people who've been doing it forever and then i realized you know what though what i'm doing is different i'm covering this team i'm i'm on this beat but i'm doing it a little bit differently and that's kind of how five fun facts was born Um, where I started to do that with the players. And that was a different thing that nobody else was doing. And under the helmet was born. And and I think that that's an important thing. And and I bring that up. And I'm glad you brought that up uh, for our listeners who are looking for a career in sports. And it is about finding your different and finding your niche and finding what makes what you do different than what everybody else does. Because fans love coverage and they want to know, like you said, more and more and more. So there is a place for many people to give that coverage. It's just finding you know, kind of what makes you unique and, and special in that way. Oh, yeah. Totally hear that. So along those lines, what has been over the years your most fun story to cover, whether it be someone's socks or something else? What do you think has been the most fun? <laughs> so the most fun it's, this is hard. There's there's a couple that are there's a couple that are up there. There was a story that I did um, during a Super Bowl week. It must it was when the Patriots were playing the Rams in Atlanta about all the times that the Patriots and Tom Brady have been invoked in rap lyrics. 
And that oh, was really, funny. really fun. But maybe the winner is a couple of years ago, there was a horse named Gronkowski who was running in triple crown races. And I got to go spend a day um, at the Belmont with the the real, the human Gronkowski <laughs> crew and Gronk and all his brothers and his girlfriend and and see them like interact with sort of, you know, snooty horse racy world. And then the horse ended up coming in second. Oh, wow. So that was, that was maybe one of the most fun assignments that I've ever done. That sounds amazing. That's awesome. Actually, full circle, Grog's girlfriend, Camille, was our first ever Get My Job guest. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we did it. We did a collab. Yeah, she's awesome. We did a collaboration with her on a hat, a Never Not Dancing fanbrel hat. So, um, and she was our first ever yeah, so full circle. But that sounds like maybe the most fun day ever. That really does. That sounds it like was a- really silly. It was, yeah. Um, I just remember them asking all the trainers like a lot of questions about how much the horse ate <laughs> and like really approving, just having some really strong approval for like the grain consumption habits of this like thoroughbred. I can't even imagine how much a horse eats. I've never even thought about it, but I'm sure it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. That's really funny. Well, on the other side of that, what has been one of the most difficult stories you've ever had to cover? You know, so I've done some features that are hard. Like I did one a few years ago about um, Nate Solder's family and um, their son who had uh, was going through cancer treatment. And those are, those are really rewarding stories to do. They're also hard just because it's a sensitive story and you want to, you know, you want to do right by them. You want them to feel sort of safe opening up to you and putting that in your hands. I think (laughs) it's funny. I'm giving you like two with each of these answers. That's okay. One that was really tough though, was um, when Josh Gordon was on the Patriots uh, just because there was not a lot of information available. And so one, it was a difficult story reporting wise, just to figure out what's going on and also to understand the boundaries of when you should and shouldn't be digging for information when we're talking about someone that has struggled and was at that point still struggling with substance abuse. Um, so that whole span of, of a few weeks, um, after, especially after he'd been reinstated and came back, uh, that I found challenging because it really drove home. Like you see someone in a locker room for 45 minutes a day and you might have a certain impression of, oh, he seems great. It seems like everything's going awesome. Like he's so upbeat and talking to all these other guys and like such a nice guy, all of which is absolutely true. But you can't see the real struggle that's going on um, when he's outside of those rooms. So that one was one where, you know, it was difficult because it was a sensitive topic, but it was also difficult because it reminded me certainly that like, we don't know everything and sort of have to be careful about what judgments you make based on just sort of short interactions. Going back to that a little bit, um, when you said it, it brought home, you know, when you should or shouldn't be digging 
when someone, you know, how much you should be digging when someone has been struggling with substance abuse. Generally, what advice would you give to reporters on that? Like there does come a point where it's not, they are human beings and it's not just about getting the story. And how do you find that line and what advice would you give to people for finding that line? Well, I think one is like always go by the book, right? So like Mm -hmm. don't, some of this is going to be rather obvious, but like (laughs) somebody's sponsor, if they're in a rehabilitation program, (laughs) that person is not supposed to talk to you and shouldn't talk to you. So even if, you're, even if as a journalist, it's not necessarily your job to not pursue that in the same way that it's their job to not give it up. Like, be cognizant of that. Don't dig mm-hmm. there. On the flip side, and I this is not necessarily a case when this would come up, but like, you do kind of have to detach yourself from wanting people to like you and sort of like always wanting to be the the good guy. Um, because sometimes it's uncomfortable to talk to, to people about sensitive situations. So like, just, I would not think of it in terms of how you come off kind of, I I always try to be really cognizant about like, what are the rules here? You know, like what, there are actually people who have thought long and hard and sort of come up with codes of ethics. And there are a lot of like, there are real resources to figure that stuff out, right? Like there's Pointer, there's the um, Columbia Journalism School has a lot of that stuff. Like you don't have to feel it out for yourself. Uh, And hopefully that involves really good editors and stuff. But, you know, that's one of those situations I think actually where like your gut can be important because if something tells you that I got to hang back here. Like this is crappy. I wouldn't want someone to be doing this to me. Like that can be important, but really the most important thing is like figure out what the rules are, follow the rules. And I think that's great advice. And I, I, I know you said a little earlier that feels obvious, but I don't think it's obvious to everybody, uh, especially people just starting out and it's a competitive business. And, you know, I think that that is excellent advice is, follow the rules. There's a reason they're there. There's a reason people did it before you. And consider yourself lucky that you have a whole book of rules that can talk to you about these things. Uh, So I think that that in itself is really good advice. Looking back at the beginning of your career, uh, and as you were starting, you know, in college and and beyond in your internship, can you think of a criticism that you received uh, that kind of has helped to shape who you are as a reporter today? (laughs) I can think of like 50. Um, Oh, yeah. We've got all day. Go for it. (laughs) This is almost kind of a funny one. But one thing I think about all the time, um, and I hope he doesn't mind my saying this, that it it came from him. And he didn't mean it as a criticism, but it was it was worthwhile for me to hear. Um, And I doubt he even remembers saying it. But uh, Mike Reese, who's an excellent um, reporter for ESPN, who's covered the Patriots for a long time. I remember him at my first owner's meeting, basically telling me like not to talk to anyone about myself. (laughs) And that's not how he said it, but he was, he like, we were talking about something and he just sort of paused and was like, Hey, like, don't give people the book or something like that. Or it was like, just careful who you say, like who you say, what you say too. And I think about that all the time. (laughs) 
It's actually spectacular advice. It really is because it's so like we're all we're all storytellers, we're all sharers, we're all like for the most part in this industry there's like a lot of people people and sometimes it's like oh man, maybe I went too far with that one and like I just I have a tendency to get too familiar too quickly. So Mm -hmm. that one is like, that comes up for me all the time. Um, And it it is an interesting thing because it's like, it's such a social world. um, But it's also one where like everybody talks to each other. Everybody's paying attention. I mean, I think about that in terms of like social media too, is because I can be like, I, I always sort of, I think about this a lot. Like I'm much snarkier online than I am in person. And I think that's normal. Cause I think that's sort of like the language of the internet and it's mm-hmm. never really gotten me in trouble, but every once in a while, I'm sure you've had this too. Like you sort of remember some of the people that follow you and you're like, right. oh, wonder if he saw that, that might be. So like I play things a little bit um, closer to the vest. Uh, just better safe than sorry. I think that that is actually excellent advice. And since you bring up social media, do you ever have moments? Are there certain tweets or things that you post that you're about to hit send and you're like, oh, maybe not? Do you have a test that you go by? Or is it just, I'm going to throw this out there and hope for the best? Yeah. um, So I've never, like, I've never really seriously gotten burned by a tweet. But uh, except for one time, this wasn't in the same vein, but I once worded a tweet about an old story of Tom Brady's where he got bit by a dog. Um, I worded it a little bit unclearly. Now, some people didn't do me any favors with the way that they took took it and ran with it. But there were a lot of people in Boston who read the way that I worded that tweet and thought that Tom Brady had just been bitten by a dog. Okay. Uh so that was a just like that was an honest mistake, but that didn't go so well. Uh, <laughs> I'll just text like sometimes I'll text friends, but it's also like when in doubt, just don't do it. You know, there there it is, best advice ever. <laughs> like you're feeling like ah, it's just not worth it. Like it's not. What are you gonna get out of it? Like, I mean, and I I don't like I actually think that people having a good time and and joking around and laughing online is like a real valuable thing but like it's just it's not worth the retweets like it's just not and I think that is you know what you spoke earlier about listening to your gut and I think that's with social media I think that's so important when in doubt don't do it if at any moment you're like I just don't know it's it's nothing the reward is not gonna be worth the risk I had some trouble getting that out but I think you know what I was trying to say yep Totally. And like, just, you know, you can always text it to your friends. I Exactly. You could totally text it. And I have done that before where I've said, even to a couple of my colleagues on the beat that I'm really close to, that I'll text them and be like, I don't think I could tweet this, but you and I can laugh. <laughs> and that, you know what? That's fine. That's good enough. Someone else laughed. We're fine. Uh, but I think that is the best advice for social media. And to remember, it's always there. Even if you delete it somehow, it's always there. So think about that before you send that out. And the reason I'm I'm harping on this a little is because part of this podcast, you know, is for young women, especially who want to get involved in sports in, on any level. And I just think it's a good reminder that 
social media doesn't really go away and something you've maybe thought you got away with today, maybe in three years comes back up. So kind of think about those things as you're tweeting and posting. Also, my parents follow me on Twitter. So that helps. (laughs) Mine mine follow me on Instagram. So that I get that. That helps too. The parents test is a good one. You're a huge Taylor Swift fan. I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. Um, So I have many important questions and maybe I would consider this one of the most important questions of the podcast. Uh, But what is your, all right. So let's start with what is your favorite song on each of the albums? Okay. So I got to, so I'm going to do this off the top of my head. Okay, Um, that's, That's impressive. So we'll start, let's start with, we'll start with Taylor Swift, the album Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. My favorite song is off that one is probably should have said no. Um, so then we go fearless. I'm a big, I'm a big forever and always person. Um, and I am the original version, not the piano version, which has some really beautiful parts, but I don't like one thing I love about Taylor is that like there are so many Taylor Swift songs where I just feel like I she can write lyrics that sound like how a lot of young women talk. Mm-hmm. And there's like a venomous spitting element to that song, which I think is so like fun and cool. And the acoustic version is really the piano version is really beautiful but it loses a little bit of that, like, were you just kidding? Which, like, <laughs> I just think is so great. I, oh, God, I love that song. Um, so then Speak Now. Um, oh, wow. Wow, 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 wow. Speak Now is really hard. Uh, so we're working with Dear John, Enchanted, um, and Long Live are my top three from that. But it's probably... Holy smokes. That's so hard. Uh, I'll give you you three. Okay. Thank you. I'm not like a stickler on this one. I think we could give you three. (laughs) (laughs) You've let me off leash. I'm going to give you like a hundred songs. Please do. I love it. Red is like all too well is just all too well. And that's, that's the way, that's the way it goes. Um, (laughs) 1989. um, So 1989. My favorite song is I Know Places, 1989 Deluxe Edition. My favorite song is New Romantics. Um, Oh, I love New Romantics. It's so good. Why that song was on like the deluxe Target version only will never make sense to me as long as I live, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, Reputation. Wow. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a big reputation stan. Like I know that album is sort of tortured territory for a lot of people. Um, it might, I'm with you. I loved that album. I really love it. Like I just, there's so many fun, like different sort of, like she tries on so many different styles and that. And, and I think it's really fun. Um, it's probably delicate. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I, I, I love getaway car just as much as the next girl, but it's probably delicate. Uh, Lover, my favorite song is Sometimes Lover and Sometimes um, I Think He Knows, but it's, it's probably I Think He Knows. I, I just, I, I wish that song like was a little bit sort of bigger in the chorus, but I think it's so good. 
Uh, and then folklore. I, I like haven't figured out. I haven't really figured it out yet for folklore. It's good. It usually takes me like a long time to really settle on what my favorite one is from an album. But it, it Betty is very strong. Well, it's funny that you said that because for some reason my shuffle brings up Betty more than any other song on folklore. Uh, so I think as a result, it's kind of become my favorite song. But I also love it and find myself just singing it. Um, I agree with you. I think it's it's so good. And in the when I first listened, I was like, it's definitely uh, Exile. Like this song is amazing and perfect. And then as time went on, I'm like, no, I don't think it is. I think it's Betty. I yeah, love I love I love Exile, and I think it's really cool. And it's so cool to like hear how it builds toward the end of the, end of the song. I just her duets are always interesting to me because the the other person, even when it's like Bonnie Bear, like they always get overshadowed to me, and I'm like, this this is cool, this is great. I'm happy this song exists, but it's very hard for me to be in a place where I'm like oh, I can have a Taylor Swift song or I can have like a Taylor Swift song with a little bit less Taylor Swift in it. Like it's a hard sell. That's fair. That's interesting. That's an interesting perspective. It's very interesting perspective. You know which song kind of snuck up on me um, is You Need to Calm Down. <laughs> when I first heard it, I was like, I don't think, I'm so sorry, Taylor, to say this out loud, but I don't think I like this song. And then I was like, like the second or third time, I was like, oh, I love this song. I love it. Um, and I actually, I think you will you will appreciate this. After game one, uh, the 49ers game one of the season, I tweeted to quote the great Taylor Swift, you all need to calm down. Um, and I thought, I thought of you. I thought you'd appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And then honestly, it's actually been in my head ever since because – the 49ers season has gone in a way in which I think everyone maybe doesn't need to calm down as much. So now it's like constantly in my head, um, that song. But that one kind of snuck up on me. And I find that sometimes with Taylor Swift songs. I'll listen to an album and I'll be like, I love this one and this one. And then time will go on and I'm like, but now I love this one and now I love that one. And so I can understand why it takes you time to decide which one. What album do you think is her best one? Is it Folklore or is it just because it's the newest that it feels that way? Yeah. So I don't, it's, to me, it's not folklore and I, I love folklore, but, um, I, I, there are some days where you could catch me and I would answer 1989, but I think ultimately it's red. Uh, okay. and folklore, like, I think folklore is great. I just, I think there's always been, a desire in some corners for her to do like a quote unquote serious album, which I think has influenced a little bit of the reception of folklore, which is like all fine and good. And if people love an indie record, like that's cool with me. And especially if that's going to make more people be able to experience her lyrics, experience her songwriting, experience her sort of knack for melody, like that's great to me. I just have a little bit of, I have a few unanswered questions about, so if this is quote unquote serious, and a lot of these songs are actually like, they're good because they play to her strengths as a lyricist, as a songwriter, as someone who can deliver emotion through the tenor of her voice very clearly. 
they're not particularly musically sophisticated or complicated. And that's even in ways that something like, okay, so um, I knew you were trouble is mm-hmm. like a very poppy kind of silly song. But that song had some very considered and interesting choices. Like it was, you know, that's not the first time that you're going to hear a mainstream pop song have a dubstep inflection in it. Right. But like she was working with Max Martin and Shellback on that song and made done, um, hold it against me with Britney Spears a couple years earlier. And that was like one of the first big, okay, we're going to have that like wubba, wubba, wubba thing in songs that could chart number one on the radio. And then you do it with a person who like one is more, you know, who like isn't being tasked with reinvention in the same way that someone like a Britney Spears was at that point and is completely on top of the pop universe. That's like, that was a really interesting thing that was not necessarily going to happen. So Uh to me, the idea that acoustic sounding, now, of course, there's like all sorts of tricks on folklore um, that they did in the studio, but like acoustic sounding music that the album art is grayscale or whatever, like, I, I don't quite understand why that necessarily is more, you know, capital S serious than an expertly constructed pop song that uses a lot of like synths and electronic elements. So I've, I've found the folklore reception a little bit interesting. I don't think it's her best album. I really enjoy listening to it. It's also really, it is really nice to have an album that you can just like listen to top to bottom and get some work done too. And Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. I get it, but I think red's my favorite to give you a really long answer to that question. No, I I liked that really long answer. That was good and interesting. And I learned stuff. So I like, I liked everything about that answer. And I knew you were troubled. So for a long time, that was my favorite Taylor Swift song for like a very, very long time. Um, I just think it's, it's not only catchy, but as you said, there's like, there's musical, it's interesting musically and, I love that song. Also, I think she's right. I usually know someone's trouble when they walk in. Whether or not I pay attention to it is a different story, but I usually know. And I think we all do. <laughs> and also, and then we can, we can move on from this. But like there had been so many Taylor songs up to that point that were like about how, you know, how boys had done her wrong. And those were great songs. And that happens sometimes. But it's so funny that when someone grows up a little bit, all of a so- sudden there's a song where it's like, yeah, this went badly and it was kind of my fault. And I started <laughs> coming and did it anyway. Like, yeah. that, I think a lot of us have had that moment, whether it's like high school, college, whenever that happens, there's like the, OK, hand raised, like personal culpability involved in this, too. Yes, 100 um, percent. OK, so we are going to switch gears. And um, even though I could talk about Taylor Swift all day long. Uh, But we are going to switch gears and I would love to see what your one piece of advice would be for young women who want to get involved in sports journalism. Uh, Just try to try to make as many connections as possible. Like it's a really sort of, it's a networky kind of industry. People tend to be, you know, they want to help. 
So I would just say like, never be afraid, never let the possibility that someone might say no to you, whether that's reaching out, trying to report something, or if it's just trying to get advice, trying to shadow someone, like never let the fact that it might suck to hear no stop you from actually doing something. Oh, I like that. That's really good. That's really good. How have you seen opportunities for women in sports improve? And um, how do you think we can still improve? Well, so I I think um, it's been really cool for me. Like I have my first female boss, Mallory Rubin, right now. And that's one of those things where, you know, before it's part of your professional life, you can kind of understand why that would be important in a grand scale. Like you'll see the numbers and it's like 80, 90% of people in upper level editor roles or management roles in sports media are men and go like, well, that's obviously not good, but it's sort of, it's like academic, right? Mm -hmm. And then it becomes a part of your life. And I've had a, a couple moments in the last few months where I've had to figure something out and just being able to go like, okay, I'm going to call Mallory and she's going to know what to do and it's going to be okay. And I'm going to have support. Like it's invaluable. And there, there are certainly like, I've had male editors who are wonderful and perfect and supportive, but every woman who works in this industry should have the opportunity to have that experience So I think it's been great to see, you know, we have more and more women um, in reporting roles, it feels like. I mean, I this was not how it was even my first couple of years. And I think women were out there doing those jobs, but I just didn't, I didn't know as many people these days. Well, not these days specifically, because we're not traveling as much, but like (laughs) in a normal year, now I could spend an entire NFL season, like going on the road, going to the Super Bowl, going to the combine. And I would be spending a lot of my like downtime or time when you're going around and trying to chat with people, but you kind of buddy up. Like I would be spending so much of that time with Brooke Pryor and Jordan Rodrigue and Diana Rossini and Charlotte Wilder. And like all of those people, like Catherine Fitzgerald and Jory Epstein, like that's my crew and that's very cool because that was not the case a couple of years ago. Like if I wanted to like hang out with women, sounds <laughs> so weird. But like if I wanted to do that when I was on the road for a trip, like it wasn't necessarily going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's how it's grown. Um, then in a lot of cases, though, you know, most people in those roles are still the people that they're answering to, the higher up people are are largely men. So I think that's the next step is like who the editors are, who the decision makers are. Have you had a mentor in your career? Oh, like a bill, I mean a billion. Um so uh <laughs> and it's a funny list. So like I, I talk to Charlotte Wilder like literally all the time. Um mm-hmm. she's, she's someone amazing. Who's incredibly helpful to me. Uh she was on this podcast. She's awesome. She's the best. Um, and Diana, um, people at the Globe, like my first, uh, the sports editor at the Globe when I got there, um, Joe Sullivan, incredible to me. Um, people like Dan Shaughnessy, like who 
came up in a completely different world than I did. It was such a cool experience working there to be able to learn from those people. Um, and then now like, you know, it's just been a few months, but I've always been a huge fan of Kevin Clark's work. And like, now I get to work with him and see that more up close. So I've had other mentors, like just sort of in life. Um, there's a woman named Rebecca Brown who I met, uh, in college through my sorority, who's like my life mentor. Um, she's not in journalism, but it's, it's such a long list. I'm worried I'm leaving people out, but I just think that that's like, I think there are some, there are some writers and reporters who are good at like holding themselves up in a writer's retreat cabin and coming out with a manuscript or whatever, but like, <laughs> I'm not one of them. I need people. Um, mm-hmm. So that network is like, I have absolutely no no idea what I would do without. So before we get to five fun facts, uh, can you take us through a life, a day in the life of Nora Princiati? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, no, because they're like, I, routine is not a, routine is a part of my life in a few um in a, in a few specific elements, but not in a general way. Things tend to shift on a dime. Um, but I get up, I like to, I like to get up pretty early, which can be a little bit of an issue with East coast game start times, but, um, mm-hmm. I'll get up in the morning and, uh, I will either exercise or not exercise. Um, And I like to, I tend to be more productive in the morning. So like I'll settle in on my computer, try to get whatever, like the hardest thing I have to do that day done first. Um, that always helps me. Uh, somehow if, if I get to like 4 PM and the heaviest lift is left, unless it really just has to be because of scheduling or something, that's always like, I'm so much more in danger of being like, eh, I can do that tomorrow. Whereas if I do mm-hmm. it first thing, then it's done and I don't have to worry about it. Um, I love to, like, I like to be outdoors. So especially these days, like I always try to find at least one thing to do that'll get me outside. Um, and then, you know, try to, try to see some friends, like try to call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm sounding so boring. Like, well, I think I actually think what's interesting about it, and this comes up, it's interesting with different guests. Like, some people have a lot of routine, and some things change. But I think for you, and I feel this a lot too. The best laid plans, like my day, can change on a dime in one second. So I actually think it's kind of interesting that these are, those are maybe your constants, but I'm sure your days just fluctuate all the time. And I think that's an important thing to say to our listeners is yes, you want to be flexible. You want to get the hardest stuff done early, but I mean, you have to be malleable and flexible and be able to, to change both in your day, in your career and kind of in everything that you're doing in this industry. Well, so this is going to sound a little bit, This is going to sound a little depressing, but I actually think it's like super healthy and helpful for me. I, one thing that I, after my first, maybe like season and a half covering the NFL just decided to do was like, I, I, I try to under schedule myself a little bit because Uh I'm definitely a people pleaser by nature. I'm super social. Like I love to see my friends, but 
I hate the feel like I hate canceling on people. I definitely get very like I feel so bad and guilty about it. And I really don't like being in that space where you're like, how am I going to get this done? Like, ah, uh, now I'm pressing and and whatever. So like I try to schedule one or two things a week that'll be like fun and meaningful and relaxing and cool. But like, I don't, if I'm on a Monday of NFL season being like, oh, I have these plans for, and again, everything's weird and different now. But if I'm like, I have this stuff going on on Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday and blah, 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 blah. Like by the end of that week, I'm probably not going to be in a great place. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I don't do that and like you learn to say no sometimes, then maybe you end up with an extra, you know, three hours some evening and you can do something spontaneous or you can do your laundry, which mm-hmm. is something that we all have to do. hundred um, percent. And that's like, that's kind of how I approach it is like, just don't like learn to say no to some stuff because it makes the stuff that you say yes to something that you can actually enjoy instead of being like, ah, is this ruining my week? That's excellent advice. That's excellent advice for sports industry. It's excellent advice for everybody. Uh, So thank you for that. So before I let you go, we're coming to my favorite part of every podcast, and that is five fun facts. As I think you guys know, and Nora, I think I mentioned this before we started. It's something I started doing, or I guess I mentioned it during the pod, uh, with the 49ers players. Uh, We do it on my iPhone. It's very casual. But on this podcast, we ask everybody the same five questions every week, and it's been really great because we get five really different answers every week. So uh, without further ado, it is time for five fun facts. All right, Nora, what is your favorite moment in sports? My favorite moment in sports was the um, Patriots comeback against the Falcons in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that was pretty epic. Uh, What is your life motto? My life motto would be something like, don't worry, it's all going to be fine. (laughs) It's a good life motto, though. (laughs) Do you have a go-to workout? Uh, Soul Cycle. Oh, awesome. Have you been doing their online classes or are they open where you are? Um, so they have an outdoor studio in Boston that I've gone to a couple of times, which is great. And they've done a really good job setting it up. Um, but my favorite instructors are named Johnny and Maddie, and both of them have done some like Instagram live stuff over the last several months. And they are my heroes and keep me sane because I'm like, I'm pretty even keel most of the time. But if I don't get enough sleep or enough exercise, I turn into a nightmare human, like, like snap of your fingers. So <laughs> I credit them with, with, uh, keeping some normalcy in my existence. I totally get that. I have friends and family that'll be like, did you, um, did you not get to work out today? <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. I need to go now. <laughs> like they could, they could tell. What I like was on, I was on the phone with my mom a couple weeks ago and I was just like, had, had not been getting enough sleep was just a little bit of a stress case. Um, and we just had a quick phone conversation and then and we got off the phone and I was like, I think I sounded like a little bit insane on that phone call. Like I hope <laughs> that everything's fine. Um, two days later, I, there's a package that comes to my apartment and it's this like, 
aromatherapy, like scented, relaxing diffuser. And I was like, oh no, I sounded like a human in crisis. (laughs) It wasn't, but it was just a little bit of a, you know, sometimes people call it like a moment where, and I was also like walking up the hill carrying groceries and stuff. So it was the whole thing, but I laughed so hard because I got that package and I was like, oh, so that answers that question. That's really, really funny. That's really, really funny. That's really sweet too. Uh, what is your go-to coffee order? Like just large, like just like that. <laughs> the like, bigger I, the I better. I like no sugar oat milk usually, but just in a, as large of a size as they'll give me. I love that. And what's a book every woman should read? I'm reading Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino right now. And like, I haven't finished it yet. I kind of, there's so many answers to this question, but I kind of want to say that because it's like, especially like very online women, I think Mm -hmm. should all read that book. It's, it's really had so many moments where I've been like, whoa, uh, I know what that experience is like. So everybody should read Trick Mirror. Okay, fantastic. I will check that out for sure. Nora, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun and learned a lot and just really had a good time chatting with you. Awesome. You too, Tracy. All right, you guys, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. We'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.